I really appreciate Randy being able to come tonight. Randy, obviously, many of you remember. Some of you, well, I don't, but uh, many of us don't know. Randy, come and talk to us. Thank you. Uh, Gail and I moved here in 1981, and we had a three-month-old daughter at the time. And if you can do the math, you know how old she is. Our other daughter, Rachel, was born here in 1985 at uh, Methodist Hospital here in San Antonio. And uh, we, are, we, we were so blessed during the years that, I think, that we lived, that we lived here. Um, we moved uh, to the Golf Course Road Church in Midland in 1992. In 1993, I made a trip to see the missionaries that our church supported. Uh, some of those were in Brazil. I went to Brazil, and that was the first time I met Karen and Eugene Godot. They came back on furlough in 1995 to Golf Course Road, where just days after they arrived, Eugene was out riding bikes with some of my staff members and was hit by a drunk driver six o'clock in the morning, and killed. Um, it was Gail and I who went to tell Karen, his wife, and the boys that Eugene had been killed. In 96, Gail developed a brain tumor, and she died two days after Christmas, 1997. Karen and I then married in 1999, we blended together our two families, went to help start a new church. We did a new, new marriage and a new move and a new ministry the same month. We're not real bright. <laughs> but that was 20 years ago, and uh, we've, we've been so blessed. I'd like to introduce you to my very sweet, godly wife, Karen. Karen, would you mind standing? Right. So the story I'm going to tell you from Kip is when I was moved here, uh, the eldership at that time, several of uh, are here, uh, had uh, four or five requirements for the guy they wanted. He needed to be in his 40s, he would preferably have a doctorate degree, have counseling experience, have multi-staff experience, and I was Randy from Raton, from where? 28 years old, that did not have a single one of the requirements. <laughs> and yet God took our lives and put them together over the next 11, 12 years, and it was just, uh, just a wonderful thing that still blesses my life. Particularly when I was in my 20s and early 30s, I used to speak very fast because I had so much I wanted to say, so I had to get it out. So Kip was translating or doing deaf for me one Sunday, and we got to the end, and I was going so fast, and he was doing a great job of keeping up, but then as he was signing, and I said, now let us stand and sing, he was signing away, and he signed, now let us stand and dance. <laughs> so no invitation song tonight, but should you want to dance at any point, <laughs> just, just help yourself. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Say that with me. Carry each other's burdens, and you, you will fulfill the law of Christ. I want to start with three questions. How do you get people to do right? Do I have any parents? 
have any grandparents. See, the thing is, sin is so destructive. And when it invades our life, it just blows up. It's the can in the campfire. And the closer you are, the closer people are to you when you fall into the snare, into the trap of sin, the more you get hurt. It's your family, you get hurt the most. Close friends, you get hurt right after that. Sin is incredibly destructive. And frankly, a lot of what we talk about in churches is how do people do right? How do you help people not make those mistakes? How do you keep the can out of the fire? Second question. Why is Paul so angry in Galatians? Why such angst? He's on fire. He is so angry about what's happening. Why? Third question. What makes a person less than? What makes a person more than? If you've ever been part of the less than group, you were part of the those people group. Anybody else been part of those people before? Less than. Don't measure up. Race? Still an issue today? Class? Still an issue today? Gender? We're talking about three groups. I could put several in this group, but I, just for time's sake, I'm going to do the Arabs. Um, First part of this year, Karen and I started two new initiatives. One is called Christian Leader Renewal. If you want to learn about that, you can go to www.christianleaderrenewal. We've just come back from a couple of weeks of ministering to people in church leadership. A second initiative that we started is, is coaching, and we both do Christian coaching. I do executive coaching, and uh, she does coaching with women. At the end of this, we were tuckered. So we went to Santa Fe to have a good time and said, just slept for a couple of three days. When you think about the palace of the governors that's there on the plaza, built in 1609, let your mind wrap around that. 1609. And out front, along the portico, what's going on in Santa Fe? It's Native Americans selling jewelry, normally silver and turquoise. Um, the reason they do that is because of the Arabs. Because Native Americans didn't work silver until the Spanish came, but the Spanish got it from the Arabs, the Moors who controlled Spain for over 400 years. Think about how old the United States is and let your mind wrap around that. So. The reason they do silver work in front of the plaza today 
is actually because of Arabs. The greatest libraries in the world were in North Africa. Math, if, if you're a mathematician, you know math, you can think the Arabs. Because they basically invented modern math as we know it today. An incredible culture. But when you think of Arabs today, do you think of an incredible culture? Once proud, now pretty much despised, and what it builds is deep resentment. Karen and I were in Israel a few months ago, and our guide that we had uh, was a alpha Jewish man, and it was clear within the first day that he despised Arabs. And he'd give you a whole long list of why they were despised. Ask me about it later, I'll tell you more. Some great stories. The result is deep resentment. How do you feel when people look down on you? And particularly when you look back to your family story, your family history, and you're proud of your family story and history, but now you're despised. Let me give you a second grade, Comanche. Um, the Comanche, well, let me go back to the Apache. Did you know that the Apache led multiple raids on the plaza in San Antonio? Killed lots of people in multiple raids. The Spanish were terrified of the Spanish, uh, terrified of the Apache. They, went, they ran them up into the hill country on one occasion, just got so roundly beat up around uh, where Mason, Texas is now. They didn't go back for over 100 years. The Apache whipped everybody until the Comanche came along. The Apache learned to use the horse from the Spanish who used it as a beast of burden and even for food, as did the Apache. In his book uh, about the Comanches, C.G. Wyeth talks about that when the Comanche, before they learned to use the horse, they were the junior high kids of the Native Americans. Nobody liked them. They were short, they were squatty, they were called dirt eaters. Everybody looked down and despised them until they learned to use the horse and they were then untouchable. They swept down and whipped and ran the Apache out of Texas. They controlled the largest land mass, larger than the United States, before finally those cultures conflicted, which is basically the story of Texas. Recommend that, that uh, a book to you. You can ask me later. They were despised and then fiercely destructive. They were irreconcilable to any other group with the exception of the Kiowa. Nobody knows why. Despised, hated, angry, bitter. Let me tell you about the Galatians. The Galatians are a Celtic people. They're Celts. Average man stood over six foot tall. Normal hair color. Blonde. Except when they rode into battle, because they would dye their hair with lye, 
so that it would be completely white. They were the dominant culture until they weren't. All over the Roman Empire, literally throughout all of the Mediterranean areas, you would see this statue by the thousands called the Dying Galatian because it was political propaganda that the Galatians were to be despised. Had been once a proud culture, but now defeated. If you were a Galatian to whom Paul was writing, like the Comanche, like the Arabs, you came from a proud culture, but you lived in a generation and in a day where you were definitely second class. by the thousands. Here's the common, common denominator. Those people. Less than. Shameful. Let me give you three thought questions. Where's that clock? For old preachers, you need to put one about this big <laughs> up there. What time is it right now? Anybody tell me? 7.35, thank you. Kip, you want to come translate? I'm about to do some dancing here. We've got we to pick up the pace. Number one, what happens to a heart that is shamed? Number two, what happens to a heart that shames others? And number three, why is shame so ineffective for life change? You see, that's often in churches our default. That's often in parenting our default. And yet the truth is, you already know in your own heart and your own self, shame works. You ever shamed anybody in anything? Have you ever been shamed into doing something? It works at a tremendously high cost. You cannot be shamed or shame somebody else without incredible damage. Not to yourself, to your soul. Sometimes do a word study on shame. Just look through the Psalms. Look how many times David pleads with God, please don't let me be shamed. Two parts of the brain is that when something happens to you, the one part goes over to your uh, emotional system. And any conflict, anything you ever face, it will always go to the emotional part first. Only then will it go to the thinking part of your brain. But when it's gone to the emotional part of your brain, the damage is already done. Three questions. How do you get people to do right? Why is Paul so angry? What makes a person less than? Race. Gender. 
class. So I want you to envision somebody. Karen and I were leading this group for leaders in the group. There were two or three godly single women. One who leads an amazing international ministry. All who have felt throughout their Christian walk so disenfranchised. Because you're the wrong color. Let me give a kudos to MacArthur Park. When I left here and I moved out to uh, the Golf Course Road Church, you want to guess how many people of color there were at the Golf Course Road Church? And what I missed were people of color. Hispanic people, black people, oriental people. See, that's what God created the church to be. And that's one of the things that MacArthur Park Church has always been a beautiful testimony to your community and to a larger fellowship of the power of the gospel regardless of income, of social status, or of race. That is not true in most places. It's not true in which, in which we live. So what makes a person less than today? the same things that made a person less than today then. The three things that Paul addresses in Galatians are race and status and gender. I had to show this to you. So Karen and I were coming back. I was multitasking. I was trying to get us a room for the night uh, where we're going to end up. It was in Pecos. Uh, I'd, I was a booker. I got on booker, booking.com, punched it up. First one that came up had the best price, so I just punched it in. And that's where we were going to stay. This is it. <laughs> the, uh, these are all named dorms. Dorm one, dorm two, dorm three. Karen was the only female on site as we were there. They're all oil field workers. They all have the, you know, the deal with the orange, the yellow stripe kind of stuff. They're all, all oil field workers. And I just had to laugh to myself. We pulled up. And it was just like a fleet of what would be white pickups if they were washed. Just a fleet of them. And we said, do we really want to spend the night here? See, we make judgments about status and class even when we don't know it. We now we stay with a lovely couple in Las Vegas, Nevada, not Nevada, New Mexico. Their last name is Angel. And the place we stayed in was built in 1865. It's adobe on the outside. And then the ceilings, uh, anybody know the name of those logs that go across? They're called vigas. And then the little ones that lie on top of that are, are called latias, but those are called vigas. And in lots of exclusive wealthy homes in New Mexico and other parts of the Southwest today, They'll use these exposed vegas. This particular place had 93 of them in this long house that ran a block long. Mr. Angel was telling us about him. His mother, who died in her 90s just not too long ago, until they did the remodel not too long ago, she had never seen them because they'd been covered up 
with a drop ceiling with another roof. The main reason? They were a sign of class. White people didn't use Jesus. His mother, who'd been born in that same house, he was born in that house, he's now in his 80s, his mother had never seen those because the generation ahead of her had covered them up because they were an embarrassment. But if you go to any of the million-dollar houses in Santa Fe, guess what you're going to see? You're going to see those. You're going to see Vegas. We look down on others who aren't like us. Read this with me. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The three things that made people less than are the same three things that make people less than. I want to mention a fourth one on this list. It's shame. Shame will make you feel less than. Uh, that's my time. Somebody called out time to me. What time is it right now? Pardon? 7.43, thank you. You can give me the five-minute thing you want to. This is from a book called Soul Keeping by John Ortberg. We just want to read you a couple quick stories. Researchers at Duke, North Carolina and Harvard have all examined the impact of fake adornment on our ethics. In one study, a group of women was, were given expensive name brand sunglasses to wear, but half of them were told that the glasses were cheap knockoffs. Even though they were assigned at random, the knockoff group was more than twice as likely to both cheat and steal in a subsequent women study of women who believed that they were wearing the real deal. In another study, people who thought they were wearing fake sunglasses were significantly more cynical in their attitudes toward other people. You see, we fake it in life to bolster our egos. But the result is we feel like phonies. And the more deceptive and cynical with others, why so exquisitely sensitive is the need of the soul to be whole? You may think that a simple thing won't hurt you. The reason that sin is so destructive is it goes into your heart and shame results. Here's one more. This is from a, a book called The Honest Truth About Dishonesty, How We Lie to Everyone, Especially to Ourselves. Uh, this guy's a college professor. And what set him off on this path uh, was this. Here's a tiny example I hope you can relate to. Over the course of many years of teaching, I have noticed there typically seems to be a rash of deaths among students' relatives at the end of the semester. It happens mostly in the week before final exams and before papers are due. Guess which relative most often dies? 
grandma. I'm not making this up. Research on this found out that grandmothers were more than 10 times likely to die before a midterm and 19 times more likely to die before a final exam. Worse, grandmothers of students who are not doing well in class are e at an even higher risk. <laughs> Grandparents take that to heart. You see, in our culture, we talk a lot about the self, about self-care, taking care of yourself. That's not the issue. It's your soul. It's your soul. And shame is particularly destructive to your soul. Take sunglasses. Now, Paul, why is he so mad? Why is he so angry? What is going on? Here's just a quick look. He says, I'm astonished at you. But what you're believing is no gospel at all. You do this, you're going to be under God's curse. How I wish I could change my tone because I'm perplexed by you. You mark my words. You better listen to what I'm saying. Those people that want you to get circumcised, let me tell you something. I wish they'd just go ahead and castrate themselves. Oh. I guess there's something you're really upset about. What is it? I think it's because the first question is the wrong question. We ask, how do we get people right? It's the wrong question. The right question, and the one that is dealt with throughout Galatians is how is a damaged soul healed? How are people who are less than? How are people who live in shame and failure and frustration? How is a damaged soul healed? Now I'm going to just give you a quick run before I give you the same assignment that I gave to one of these Christian leaders this last week. I want to challenge you to read the book of Galatians, all six chapters, every day for the next 30 days. And I want you to deal with the question of how is a damaged soul healed? He starts out by saying, you guys are turning to the gospel. There's no gospel at all, let me assure you. It's absolute heresy. It's not a little off, it's completely off. And when you turn away from the grace of Christ, you've turned away from Christ. Chapter 3, I don't set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. You see, when we tell people, try harder, follow more rules. Where Karen and I stayed, uh, we were there over a Sabbath, Anybody been to Israel and you got you get in an elevator on the Sabbath? It stops at every floor. Might think about that before you book your room, either there or Pecos. Just do a little pre-thinking. Why, why does the elevator stop on every floor? 
because to push a button is work. Do you know that on the Sabbath, if you spit on the ground, you just violated the law surrounding the Sabbath. But if you spit on a rock, you're okay. Why? Well, if you spit on a rock, it just dries up. If you spit on dirt, what happens? It makes mud. And if you make mud, that is ipso facto work. I'm not making this stuff up. You see, that's what happens to a mindset that says, you'll be okay if I give you enough rules about the rules about the rules. You're, you'll stay out of trouble. Your soul won't be damaged. <clears throat> if a law, read this with me, 321. If a law could be given that could impart life to righteousness, would certainly have come by the law. There's no better law that's ever been a law. But it won't heal your soul. <coughs> it won't give you life. So how is a damaged soul healed? It's not by more rules and regulations. It's not by... Five, he starts talking about don't turn back to the burden of slavery. Don't do more rules. It won't heal your soul. How's the damaged soul heal? Remember what it is, the illustration between Sarah and Hagar? It's all chapter 4 in Galatians. But we don't belong to the slave woman, Hagar. We belong to the free woman, Abraham and Sarah, because you remember the story, don't you? So, angel Lord comes and says, oh, by the way, Miss Sarah, at age 99, you're going to have a baby. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I believe that. And she did what? And they named him Isaac, which means laughter. But you see, the son, against all odds, against all unbelief, it's a stunning thing that this son is born by the power of the Spirit. What can heal a damaged soul? The son born by the power of the Spirit. In a minute, right before I close, I'd like to run back the words to Just As I Am and the other psalm that went with it. And that's what we're going to close with. So he says, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. See, the reason in my life that I've wanted to impose more rules on people is because I love them, and I don't want them to get hurt. And I think if I can make it clear enough, then they won't get hurt, and their families will be okay. And so I give them more things. And the reason we're so afraid to not do that is because we're afraid that the Holy Spirit won't. So I need to. But Paul says, well, by the Spirit, you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
I can quote you a little Greek. He runs a restaurant right back now. Now, the Greek behind this says it so emphatically, you will not do this. Why? <coughs> because of the power of the Spirit. See, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. The Spirit He cries out, Abba, Father. There are only two, two or three words in the, <coughs> in the New Testament that aren't in Greek. Abba is one of those. They're words that were so precious to the church that even when they were writing in Greek, they didn't put it in Greek. Abba is one of those. Father, Dad, Daddy. God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who cries out, Abba, Father. Why would God not be strong enough? Why is the Spirit not enough to keep people from sinning? Why do I turn them to rules instead of turning them to the only one who can save? But since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Does it mean that if I'm depending on the Holy Spirit of God? You're a good man. That if I'm depending on the Holy Spirit of God, then I can just go off and live what I want? What are you talking about? The Holy Spirit of God lives within me. I love Him, I follow Him, I depend upon Him. I have no power to overcome sin by rules and regulations. The Spirit of Christ is all the power you need. And that's why you live by it. That's why you keep in step with it. That's where you see where, where He goes. We're walking up a trail. If I'm going up a new trail, I like to follow somebody who's already been up the trail. The Spirit has already been up the trail. Keep in step with Him. Randy, I thought your text was Galatians 6.2. I'm getting there. We're at 6.1. If somebody's caught in a sin, you who what? Live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Now, there are two classes of Christians, spiritual ones and non-spiritual ones. Galatians, among other texts, will tell you that if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 8 is one of those, you have the Spirit of Christ. The question is, is, do you keep in step with Him? Do you follow Him? Do you trust Him? If someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Why? Because you're the only people that know where the power is. And when you know where the power is, then you restore that person gently. We were staying at this uh, place donated to us by a friend of our ministry, and the doors were open. I'm not going to mention the fact that the high was only about 65 most of the time we're there, but the doors were open, this little bird flew in. It's a junco. That's a picture of a junco bird. And there were big, these big plate glass windows, and he kept trying to get out. What would he do? Run into the window, run into the window. How do you get a Junko out of the house when he keeps running into the window? Well, you get a broom. And you kind of gently define his space. And you gently help him get out. Now, what happens if you start yelling and screaming at the bird? He just gets more frightened. You gently help him to get out. Now, when we who are spiritual, gently help people to get out. You've got to be careful. You yourself may be tempted. What does that mean? It means, one, not only that you can be participating in the sin in which they're involved, it can also be much broader than that. It means that you fall into the same trap that they've fallen into of not walking by the Spirit. 
Now, don't have time to go back up and read the end of five that obviously leads into six. You've got the works of the flesh. You've got the fruits of the Spirit. When you compare what the fruits of the spirits are, they're this. You gently help them and carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, when you try to sweep the junco out of the house, he'll try to go around you, and he'll come back, and you'll have to do it again. But you know when you gently try to help people walk by the Spirit, follow the Spirit, they'll try to do an end run around you. Paul is so angry at the Judaizers because what they want to do is come back and make more rules, more standards for them to do. Don't spit on the dirt. He says, oh, no, 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 no. Don't fall into the trap that they're already in. Instead of what you do, you fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they're something when they're not, they deceive themselves. What does a person who shames others do? They shame others. And they feel so right about it. If you think you're something when you're not, you deceive yourself and nobody else. Each one should test his own actions, then that they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to somebody else. For each should carry their own load. I just thought you told me to carry his load. Yeah, I am supposed to carry his load. Does that absolve me of responsibility? Of course not. When, when you sweep the little bird out of the house, the little bird is still responsible for flying after he's out of the house. When you help someone depend on the power of the Holy Spirit that God has given them inside to heal their damaged soul. And when healing comes from the Spirit, they're responsible. And so are you. So Paul says this, I, they want you to be circumcised so they can boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And through the Spirit, we eagerly wait by faith, the righteousness for which we hope. No righteousness comes any other way than through the Spirit of Jesus Christ. It's the only way righteousness ever comes. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts, read it with me, is faith expressing itself through love. Except he says it one other way. This is the next chapter, chapter 6. Read this with me. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. And the only thing that creates a new creation is the Spirit of Christ. So from now on, Paul says, don't let anybody cause me any trouble. I'm done with those guys. You want to cut somebody's flesh? Let me show you my flesh. I bear on my body the marks of Christ. And say this with me because it's the end of the story. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. How do you heal a damaged soul? The spirit of Jesus Christ alone. God bless you.